0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. Cranjus McBasketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Cranjus McBasketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good
1: stats doesn't mean you're a good team. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. Tim, we were recording this fresh off of the news that Kyrie Irving was dealt to the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney Smith, like a 2029 20, first and a 2027 20, second, uh, I believe. So it looks like the Lakers uh, were saved by someone else. It sounds like they were willing to give up uh, the 27 first, uh, Christy, uh, Reeves, you know, Russ. Sounds like the Lakers uh, kind of just got saved, Tim. I don't know what you think, but I'm uh, I'm pretty happy that this Lakers-Kyrie thing did not happen.
2: Uh, yeah, I have mixed feelings. Kyrie's a very, very good basketball player. He's played only 27 games a season for the fa- past four years for a number of reasons. Injuries, off-court stuff. It's... Uh, tricky you know with him or like owns and there's some red flags there like bringing someone in who is currently unhappy with their role or unhappy with their pay and willing to like not play games unless they get their way is always it's not the general type of thing you want to bring into an organization let alone the other stuff that Kyrie's had going on uh, as recently as weeks and months ago uh, but yeah, no, I, I understand folks who are upset, uh, unhappy that the Mavs got to this. The reality of it is if the Nets weren't planning to blow it up and decide not to try to win this year, the Lakers would not have the best package. The Lakers' best package, what like Christy, Reeves, those are good young players who will be good long-term. The Lakers' for two first-round picks, that'll be great long-term, like years from now. If the Nets, who are the four-seed in the East – want to make a run this season, the Lakers have no, like their package would not be competitive with a Clippers package, with a Mavs package. They weren't going to beat Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith this year. Then the Nets also were able to get that first round pick, like you mentioned. And then they actually got two second round picks from Dallas a 2027 and a 2029. So they're set up. There's a long-term element to it and a short term. And the Lakers shouldn't have been able to come close, even if they did go all in. So In a way, we can, whether you're happy about this or not, it's not going to happen. And even if the Lakers went all in, it wouldn't have happened from my perspective, given what this offer ended up being. So, uh, Mavs get Kyrie, they get Markeith Morris. And I think we can, you know, move on from this one. This will make Dallas interesting. Uh, Luca and Kyrie on the same team, they still have Wood, they moved Dinwiddie out. That, I think, is certainly an upgrade on court for them, assuming that Kyrie is able to stay healthy and play. So losing Dorian Finney-Smith will be, you know, that'll hurt a bit, but he's had a down year compared to what he had been doing the past few seasons. But I like this for the Nets short and long term. I like this for the Mavs uh, short term from an on-court try-to-win standpoint. If they are, I would imagine they're only doing this if they're willing to keep Kyrie around long term. So if they're going to throw a bunch of money at him, and, they, you know, they know what they're getting into there. This should be viewed positively by their fans as well. Um, so, I don't know. From a Lakers standpoint, I guess it's just, it's easier for me to move on from this, knowing that, like, oh, we could have beaten that if we wanted to, you know? Because there have been situations like that in the past, and this isn't one of those.
1: I agree. Ultimately, it's it's a difficult negotiation, too, Tim, because you have to have an idea of what you want to sign that player who's, you know, you're renting for three months, which Dallas chose to do, to be clear, with this package that they sent. Uh, this is the rental package. And the Lakers, it sounded like, uh, from what Sam Amick and I think Dan Wakey were reporting, that there were different trade packages depending on uh, whether Kyrie was going to sign that to your extension or, or not. So it's a difficult negotiation. It kind of sounds like they remained, uh, both franchises, kind of where they were in the summer. As far as, you know, what they thought of each other's, you know, assets and what, what they wanted to do. So, um, you know, Dallas, I mean, they're gonna score 130, but they might give up 140. You know, they're gonna be one of those teams, I think. Um, and they're planning, I'm sure, signing him long term. And good luck to them for that. Because, you know, I just don't I want that on my team right now best of luck I think he's his individualism is going to enjoy Texas Tim what do you think
2: (laughs) yeah I'll (laughs) I as a local I will certainly follow along and see how that goes it might be a an interesting cultural fit for him uh but I don't know best best of luck to the Mavs the Lakers need to move on I am really happy of the about the timing of this deal the fact that this came mm-hmm. today on Sunday rather than like Thursday gives the Lakers closure and allows them to move on and have plenty of time to go make another deal. And I really think they should. The standings are looking so much more favorable than I was expecting them to look at this point with how much time AD has missed in the season and just how how good the West looked, how teams were, you know, popping out of nowhere. Teams are falling off. Um, unfortunately for the – the uh, Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, just got hurt and he's going to be out for a bit. The Lakers are only a couple games back from jumping some of these teams. So if they wanted to, like if they were on the fence, AD and LeBron are playing well enough that I think you got to go for it. You, you have assets that you can trade. And to me, I, I'm looking at what the Lakers can go after. And I think they can still hang on to Christy and Reeves and improve this year and it'll be through role players it won't be through a superstar trade like we know is generally their plan a probably their plan b maybe their plan c also but at this point unless something weird happens with like zach Levine, i guess um we're looking at a role player trade and i'm not all upset about that i i think there are some pretty good options that the lakers can afford
1: Yeah, uh, well, well, let's get into that then, Tim, because we have the trade deadline coming up. I know you hopped on uh, and flew solo to kind of go over some of this. We were talking a little bit more on that playback game last night, but I think there's kind of two avenues the Lakers can take, right? There's obviously the Russell Westbrook big contract with either many small pieces or, you know, a Kyrie or another big contract, which seems to, I don't know be less uh likely nowadays but mike conley there's other options still out there uh and then there's a like lonnie walker pat Bev seconds you know one first in one trade one first in another so let's let's start with utah um because i still think i still think it's hilarious russell westbrook could be traded to utah by the way i've i still really want that to happen but that's that's over here um mike conley Kelly Olenek, and I would guess probably have to take on like another bad contract like their Rudy Gay, who's got a guaranteed year next year for Russ, a first and a, a second, a couple seconds. I don't know. What do you think, Tim?
2: Yeah, Utah's interesting. They are one of the few teams that should be in a pretty big selling mood and has a number of pieces to, to trade away. And I think that means they're going to have a number of takers. Um, we can come up with a bunch of different potential trades with this team between Conley, uh, Beasley, Vanderbilt, Olenek. I'd say those are some of the, the pieces you'd be uh, – like teams would be looking to acquire. Rudy Gay is someone that they'll be trying to include in deals as a, hey, you know, it, get, get get this contract off our team. Uh I would expect the Lakers. I think, you know, Vanderbilt's a, Vanderbilt's a good player. I talked about him on the stream last night. He's not the best fit for what the Lakers, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what they'd be looking for. Conley, he has ball handling. He's got some good playmaking. He is a, I think it was 37, 38% pull up three point shooter in ball screens. He would be someone that can change the way teams defend the Lakers and would open up the role game and would make it easier for the Lakers to generate numbers advantages without it needing to be from AD or LeBron being on ball. And that would be really beneficial at the guard spot. And if you are to make a rust trade, I think you need to get back playmaking. You need to get back uh, a Fred Van Vliet or Mike Conley. Those are the two guys that I have on my list. And if you're going to do a Utah trade and get Conley back, it would be, you know, throw Russ in there. So to your point, I think it would be, you know, get Conley back, maybe get Olenek back and Rudy Gay for uh, and then maybe like Nikhil alexander Walker to make the money work for Russ, a first round pick, some seconds. And then the Lakers also taking on Rudy Gay. Um, I think that would be the general framework. Now you can include Beasley. The Lakers would need to. Add more on their end, but I think there's a, a route here to go where this is the more expensive deal of the these kinds of deals, and then we're going to get to a second kind of deal in a little bit. Those should be cheaper deals. For these deals, I, I think the Lakers, you know, if you can get that for only giving away one first round pick, you at the end of the day, when you look back and say, all right, total between two deals, what did we give up and we what did we receive? And we still kept Reeves. We still kept Christie. We still have a first round pick in the future. I think the Lakers will be happy with that. So I would be, I'm I'm interested, you know, sound off in the chat. Would you accept a uh, bringing Conley back, a back, you know, take on Rudy Gay? He's not really all that much of an on-court value add, but you're offloading Russ. You are paying one first round pick and then maybe a second or two.
1: So I know we're throwing around a lot of names, Tim. But just quickly, if if you can go through the roster, if we've made that kind of trade, let's say, um, I don't know, if you get Conley from the Jazz, I feel like you're not going to go for Van Vleet, right? Those those two don't make sense uh, going after both. So let's 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 build a, a one or two practical trades, Tim. To like do this in one fell swoop. So you want to do try and get Beasley, Olenek, and Gay. From Utah, I was, thinking, for- I
2: was thinking Conley, Olenek, and Gay, and we wouldn't get Beasley. I think Beasley and Vanderbilt are going to go out in a separate deal, but we have other options to go grab a shooter because I think for the Lakers, what you're looking at improving upon is grab a point guard that has some playmaking, If for us is out the door. You check that box with Conley, get a backup big that's an upgrade for Thomas Bryant, both from a from a defensive standpoint and from a shooting standpoint. Olenek checks that box. And then the third piece here I think that you're looking for is either a guard or wing shooter, ideally an off-screen shooter. And that's what brings us to the second part. And that's where you can engage Indy, you can talk to Toronto, you can talk to Detroit. And what you're looking at in those frameworks is we're not going to give up a first round pick, but we would like to trade away Pat Beverly, Lonnie Walker, and a second rounder or two to go get... Gary Trent Jr. Or Lonnie Abev in a second to go get Buddy healed. Um, Or Lonnie JTA in a second for Alec Burks or something like that. Uh, I, among those players, would have Trent and Heald, you know, more uh, higher priority than Burks. They have that off-screen shooting element, movement shooting. It's a, you know, more valuable skill set. But Burks is also a decent player and I would have interest in. And he would just be more of a, like, one-for-one Uh, Trey Brown Jr. improvement. But with any of those deals, and I was playing around in the trade machine, the Lakers could make something work where between that first deal that we talked about with Utah and one of these second deals, they bring in ball handling with Conley. They bring in uh, Thomas Bryant improvement with Olenek. They bring in a shooter between Trent or Heald or Burks. uh, And they're moving Russ. They're moving one first round pick they're moving probably two second rounders, and then Lonnie and Beverly out as well makes it easier from a rotation standpoint for Darvin Ham to not be making some of the mistakes I think we've been feeling as recently as last night, uh, and I think that you know if Lakers can end up with a roster where they're able to have like Conley and Schruder at point guard, Reeves and Healed at the two or Reeves and Trent. Um or they could start Trent at the three. Um, you can have Brown and Christie, Rui, LeBron, A D, Alinek, and I what
1: is it? I think I named like 10 guys. it's still up Bryant too. Probably mm-hmm. and Gabriel. Probably as well. again, like we've been talking about trying to get a, a small Damian Jones trade. I would that's like my bare minimum expectation for this team um by Thursday, because you know, if you're not gonna play this guy. Try to get somebody in the door who, you know, you could at least uh use in a pinch or, you know, want to find a way to contribute because it doesn't seem like Damian Jones is in the plans.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's if the team wasn't gonna play him against like Portland when they were running mobile coverages, I I don't think they're they're ever gonna play him. So they might as well move him. He has salary, that would make sense in some of these deals. So yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised to see a salary dump, but I'm sure they'll try to include him in one of these other deals first instead. And then potentially, you know, get to the deadline and by the end of the deadline, have an open roster spot to go grab like a a big man that's available on the free agent market or look for a buyout.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's a lot of these trades are depending on... I still think the Lakers are probably gonna err on the side of Frugal, you know, um, as far as the tax implications. I don't know. If they think this trade really put makes them a championship contender, maybe they do pay up. I'm I'm a little skeptical on that or uh but Tim, I wanted to bring up, you know, a very important mitigating factor in this is who signed by Clutch in this conversation. <sighs> It's Fred Van. It's Freddie Vans, right? Yeah,
2: and I don't know if at this point that's a, a positive or a negative, um, I, for a team that's been having to try to navigate through their team building and roster construction and rotations and all that. Not just team and players, but then having that third factor also. I wouldn't be surprised if they want to move away from it, or perhaps it's a, a benefit and makes it easier for them to acquire players. I'm not sure, but if they did want to go after Van Vliet. I think you could look at making an expanded Toronto deal and trying to acquire Van Vliet and Trent for, at, this, at that point, you're probably paying one first round or maybe a second, uh, Russ, and then you've got some mix of Beverly, Jones, Walker, JTA, maybe some second round picks to to make it even out there. But that would be, if they wanted to do a bigger deal there rather than with Utah, they could get ball handling and shooting through that avenue alone. And if they were to do one deal, it could, it could just be that. But Toronto is also a team that certainly values their players highly, and they're not going to just be giving a guys away. They're a team that if they make some smart moves between the deadline here and next off season, they could be a good team next year. So I don't expect them to do the Lakers any favors. If the Lakers want to go get Van Vliet and Trent, I think they're going to probably ask for two first round picks or the Lakers will need to give up Christie and or Reeves. So that might be a, a richer uh, ask from, from the opposing team, but still definitely something the Lakers could look at doing. Van Vliet has fallen off a bit this year, but he's still a pretty good player. Similar to Conley, they've both taken a big step back this season, but are both you know solid in, in various areas, vulnerable in others. And with any of these deals, you're not getting perfect players. You're getting guys who fit skill and positional needs and hopefully set you up with strong role players that could be stars in their roles. I don't think Fred Van Vliet anymore is going to be a star, you know, three and D point guard on a title team. But he can be a solid, like, role player point guard on this team where he's not expected to, you know, carry a gigantic load. Um, I think that would enable his defense to take a step up while at the same time he he has that ability to get to the rim. doesn't finish well at the rim, but can pressure the rim and and create for others. So yeah, he's, he's a guy that can make sense as well. And uh, I see that as being an avenue the team could go down. Another guy we haven't mentioned is Bojan Bogdanovic, who I know the Lakers are interested in, or we've heard the Lakers are interested in and have heard that for a while. He could be someone they, they took a look at. I'm less high on him as some of these other guys. I think he's a harder positional fit. And if you're looking to just grab a shooter, I would rather grab a Heald or a Gary Trent jr than Bogdanovich because it's easier to play those guys in a lineup that also has LeBron and AD from my perspective and and be better off defensively.
1: Yeah, Bogdanovich thing has been – I mean they've been talking about that for a couple months now and it seems like those teams are fairly far apart and it sounds like there's a good amount of competition for him as well uh, if they were willing to let him go. But they extended him and it sounds like they want to keep him around at least for now. Um, not unlike kind of how they approached Jeremy Grant that season, that first season they signed him. Um, So I'm curious too, Tim, what you think about – so we've spoken about Toronto, Utah, you know, Detroit. What about Charlotte? We got the Mitch Kupchak connection. There's been rumors about Terry Rozier. You know, they could package Kelly Oubre, P.J. Washington. Um, Russell Westbrook, you know, always has had a big fan in Michael Jordan. Not that that totally matters, but hey, you never know. Um, yeah. What do you think about the Charlotte option, which we spoke quite a bit about in the offseason?
2: I would be fairly disappointed if that were the route they went. I In in digging into over the past two, three days, Rozier and how he's played this season and Ubrey and how he's played this season, it's – i don't I don't think that's enough i don't that doesn't move the needle for me. Rozier's having a pretty down three point season but has generally been a strong three point shooter so you expect him to be a good spacer um he's got good rim creation, not great finishing. his playmaking is not really all that much of a step up uh, it's his play- the caliber of his playmaking to me is like shrewder caliber, but he turns the ball over slightly less. He's a score first guard he's not someone that I'm like okay, they can go like, run a lineup when eight, when LeBron's sitting. Um, so there's some value there, but not... He's he's a below-average playmaking point guard kind of guy. He's, he's more of a two-guard, really, in terms of his style and how he plays. His defense is atrocious, um, but he would be a better spacer than Russell Westbrook, so I, I could see some appeal there. Uh, with Ubre. he's generally been a poor three-point shooter in his career. He's had a season or two. He's been okay. But he can attack a closeout. He's an okay ball mover. His defense also this year hasn't been all that good. And he's a tougher positional fit. So I don't know. I, I'm looking for <laughs> I'm looking for lasers, Tom, and good playmaking to replace Russ. And <laughs> yeah. I don't see Ubre as a laser. I don't see Rosier as a playmaker. And for me, that makes that a tougher look. Washington, I think, is interesting, but I I'm I'm more out on that. I'd be disappointed if they went that route.
1: All right, so I all right, again. I'm trying to. I know we're talking a lot of names quickly. Trying to give some context. So give me your, you know, most interested uh, players to least interested of these guys: uh, of Healed, Gary Trent Jr., Fred VanVleet, Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, Kelly Olynyk.
2: It's so when I put a, a list together, and this is in the Discord, where I, I did put guys in tiers. I had healed, then Trent among shooters in my top tier. I had Van Vliet and then Conley, both behind Kyrie, in among the ball handlers in my top tier. And I had a in my top tier as well. These are all guys that I'd be pretty excited about if the team got uh, Malik Beasley was in my second tier. I'd be pretty happy if they were to get him. He's a very, very poor defender, but he's a good shooter and he's got some off screen ability and a decent ball mover. So there's, there's appeal there. I'd rather have him than Bojan, again because of the positional fit. Uh, so individually, that's where I have them. The tricky part is then, put, like, I don't think the Lakers would be making trades for individuals in most of these situations. They would be like probably two guys or three guys in very, you know, depending on who the team is. Um, and it's about like, okay, this guy would cost this much, this guy would cost that much. What combinations of trades maximize what you can get back? And I still I've I've arrived at the conclusion myself that the Lakers can maximize their return in the way that fits the best if they go get Gary Trent Jr. or healed as a shooter, and then they go get Alinek and Conley as a second trade. So that's that's my preferred route at this point I don't think there's one trade that has three guys that I think will work the best no in theory they could go get Conley, Olenek, and Beasley but I'd rather have Healed and I'd rather have Trent than Beasley and I know Utah's looking into Beasley plus Vanderbilt trades and that might be just they might make two or three trades before the deadline and the Lakers could be one of them but I, if you could split it up I'd rather split it up and go for the India or Toronto guys.
1: I mean, these are big, you know, sweeping changes, and I'm and I'm not saying that the team doesn't need that. Uh, I think, uh, especially in what these players are bringing, but that's a that's a tough ask. You know, you're 50 games in, something like that. It's you you got a, a short lead up to the playoffs, but this is definitely the time to do it. You know, um, and I think even one, you know, Gary Trent Jr. trade for you know Patrick Beverly or or Lonnie something of that size you know you could look at guys with a smaller contract like a you know like a Gary Harris or who's the other one Terrence Ross has been linked for years to the Lakers and never been traded Um, so there's a lot of other small deals out there you know I wasn't thinking of Rui Hachimura when when the team went out and got him so I hope they're shaking all the trees and seeing what can fall out but it seems like, it, and maybe we'll get to this. We'll take a break here in a second, Tim. If you want to talk a little bit about Ham and his rotations and that Pelicans game, oof, man, it has been rough the last few weeks, um, and I don't think strictly uh, injury related. You know, I think it's strategy related, and uh, the rotations have fallen short quite a bit. And this is a time for wins. And, you got to get a a good player on the court and got to get russ out of there. You got to get russ out of darvin's hands just to give him a, sh- a no chance to be able to play him because I don't know. Sorry, I'm rambling. It's just it's been frustrating, man. It's been real frustrating to watch russ consistently put the team in compromising situations and uh kill momentum and you know, fall asleep on the defensive end. So, I don't know what you think that it seems to have the Russ is fine off the bench. Everything's okay. Seems to have fallen off the by the wayside lately for me. And I'm I'm ready to to get this man off my team already. How do you feel about Russ? Is it a must-trade at the deadline?
2: Yeah, so he's been getting he's been playing worse a bit recently. He certainly has his very good games here and there. He has his great games every now and then, but he's had it seems like more and more poor games. Defensively, he's he's been quite poor if if we you know. Looking at the film, I notice it more than watching live. But even live, there, there are times where there was a play last night where he just let his guy blow right by him um, at a key moment in the game. And it's it's really frustrating stuff. And the frustration with Ham's rotations goes beyond just Russ, but, but he's part of it. And I would say, from my perspective, yeah, I'd say he's a must-trade. Because if the Lakers don't yeah. trade him Agreed. and they keep him... They go into a situation where they walk into the uh, offseason or, or, you know, they'd make this decision before the offseason where either you let Russ walk and you lose a whole lot of spending power in theory. You're not really able to spend as much as as the money that you're actually letting off the books, which could be bad. Or the Lakers, what they might do is extend him so that you extend him on a deal that's like, you know, not 40 mil a year or something like that but still probably not something that you and I would be all that thrilled about but gives them more perceived flexibility financially to still have that money on their books and try to play around with it um because you know as teams are building up their salary cap they reach situations where like they're able to like accrue money to get over it because they have rights on players and once you have those rights if you know you let them walk you're not able to replace them with as much money as you were paying them to play for your team previously. And, uh, you know, Russ's big deal is a similar situation to that. So I don't want them to extend him. I would rather they trade him now. And if they have these guys, you know, these options available, I would certainly go for it, especially if it's not going to take two first round picks, which I think if the Lakers can leave the deadline with a shooter, a ball handler and a backup big and keep Reeves, keep Christie and keep one of their first round picks, you have to be thrilled, I think, as a Lakers fan. That's that's that would be my ideal scenario. Um, but yeah, I need us out, and it's got the issues with Darwin's rotations have gone beyond him. I think that you know Bryant versus Gabriel minutes have been something I've been a little bugged by. Uh, Max Christie just being taken out of the rotation is not something I'm pleased with. Like I, I think he should be getting some minutes. Uh, the you know, continued playing of these three-guard lineups. And, you know, Russ is in those lineups. Bev is in those lineups. Schroeder's in those lineups. I Like, there seems to be just in, you know, big picture generally, a tendency to play smaller at those positions, which I'm not a big fan of. So if you can remove, like, with these trades, if Bev, Lonnie, and Russ are all out, and your resulting roster leaves you with Dennis and Conley, as you're two small guys, and then from there, with everybody else, they're bigger players, at least like normal size for their position, I think the Lakers are in a much better spot. So part of this trade deadline is, you know, you're not going to make Darvin a better coach. He's not going to necessarily be a better decision maker um, in like in a vacuum. But if you remove some of the pitfalls for him and, you know, you, you, you pave over those potholes – uh he he doesn't have the opportunity to make those mistakes and that's i think another element of this trade deadline that you know this team as it is right now with who's on the roster should be better and rem- you know making even if the t- the talent that you add to the group isn't you know astronomical it's not at a Kyrie level you could add to the talent and then also take away some of the you know rotation negative uh you know missteps that from a habit standpoint ham has tended to fall into and i think overall that can lead to like really you know pretty tremendous growth for the team and their performance moving forward
1: all right Tim, let's go ahead and take a quick break and uh on the other side we'll talk a little bit more about the the rotations and uh kind of what we need to see from this team uh trade or no trade going forward All right, and we're back, Tim. Um, Three guard lineups. I'm talking about it for months now. Um, Partly, you know, kind of excused in the beginning, I think, because of the roster uh, that Rob Polenka gave Darvin Ham. You know, bringing Schroeder in late, trading for Patrick Beverly, when you already had Kendrick Nunn, Austin Reeves, uh, Max Christie, smaller wings like Troy Brown and – not great defenders like Lonnie Walker. You know, the Lakers have struggled on the wing defense uh, this season. And I'm curious if you think – do you think that this was on him the whole time or is this really a thing where – this is a, a thing he he's into. He likes this. This is not just the players he has or the matchups he wants to exploit. He appreciates having the three, you know, speedy, smaller guys um, – uh, next to even though I don't know next to LeBron and Anthony Davis, what do you think?
2: It's hard to get a read on his rationale like I certainly do think he he thinks he's making the right decisions and they've fought through these things it's not just he's not just like you know making random random decisions game to game but the tendency he has with like post game interviews pre-game interviews practice interviews to just defend his guys results in him saying things that don't make any sense but i think he's just saying so that he doesn't like take a shot at somebody and he's kind of that extreme like players coach like i'm gonna fight for my guys i believe in you so many of the mic'd up segments is just him like walking up to a player and be like like i believe in you you're a dog you got this go you know go show um And it's not like some other picked up, they'll be like, all right, uh, you know, I, I'd like for you to like, hey, set. let's set that ball screen a little bit lower or they're tagging from here. So we need to do that. Like Ham's just out there gassing his guys up. And I think part of the downside with a player or a coach of that style is they will be less inclined to make in game. Oh, wow, this guy's not playing well. We need to make a, a rotation tweak that we weren't anticipating going into the the game, but now it's evident we should make it. He's less likely to make those sorts of changes based on performance in-game, which to me is concerning. Um, But I I can see the, like, we don't want to chip away at anybody's confidence angle of it. So that's made him hard to read. And I think leads to some of what we've seen in terms of like in-game decision-making, but like no, nah, it seems like their plan is to play three card lineups fairly regularly. Right? Um, it hasn't been like all that much time, but there's enough of it every game. It seems like some games more than others where they're just getting killed in a lot of these minutes, and there it doesn't even like it doesn't make sense. It's not. It's not oh, okay. Like I see what you're going for, but here's the one little thing you're missing. It's like no, what you're like this doesn't make sense. There's no viability here. Why would you do that? Why would you have two ball handlers that aren't spacers with LeBron all at the same time?
1: That's the thing, though. Because, Tim, if these guards were, you know, movement shooters or uh, athletic, you know, get to the basket and finish through contact kind of players. Yeah, I get get it. You know, you can kind of sacrifice whatever they have on the defensive end and you're just going to go speedy guys with AD and LeBron cutting and and moving around, you know, off ball. Sure. But Patrick Beverly can't score at the rim you know Dennis Schroeder barely can right now and it's just what you give up Like they play Pat like he's a a 3 or a 4 on defense and and he gets fucking juiced up like he's doing something when it's like you can't guard Brandon Ingram dude you're not gonna guard him so what the fuck are we doing Darvin
2: yeah it doesn't make sense to me And like Rui only played 18, what was it, 18 minutes that game? They took Pat Bev on on Brandon Ingram and they weren't even like doubling aggressively. For a lot of the game, it was either no double or if they were sending help, it was more of a deterring help where they would have extra guys at like the elbows in the blocks, which keeps Ingram from driving to the rim, which is fine if you've got a, a guy with good length on him. But the issue is you've got Pat Bev on him. So he can just shoot those mid-range shots. You, you know, he can he can carve out shoot some space, him. do his little fade away. It's a short mid-range jumper. And he can't even see Pat Beverly. Like, it's like
1: practice shot shit.
2: They're practice like. shots. So that's bothersome to me. The decision to put Bev on him is one thing. There's more or less vi- – like I don't think it's the right decision. But there's more or less viability with that option depending on how you play tactically, how you play schematically. And he didn't have that, like, infrastructure put in place to be able to try to make the most of Bev on Ingram. And that's concerning to me. Like, if you want to stick a small guy in Brandon Ingram, maybe, like, deny him and, like, have guys there to take away lobs or front him and have guys on the weak side ready to help. Or when he does catch the ball, send an aggressive double. Just having Bev play him 1v1 and just letting him go to work does not make sense to me. So that... That was concerning to me. I understand why Rui didn't play more against Ingram. He's he struggles with those crafty guys. Any of those guys that have, you know, a good dribble package and can, you know, throw a crossover step back on him, Rui's not good at that. That is not the style of scoring wing that he's good at defending. He can do okay with just speed. He can do okay with power. He holds his own really well but he does not do well dancing around and trying to get a good contest in against somebody that is going to put more than one move on him. But that's where Max Christie's pretty solid. Christie struggles with speed. Sometimes Christie struggles with power. He's not big enough yet, but Christie does a really good job mirroring footwork and getting a contest up for guys who want to put some moves on you and then, you know, end up shooting a, a step back jumper. So I was really frustrated that Christie didn't get some more minutes and, Similar to Jones, I'm looking at Christy and like, like for Jones, it was, if you're, you know, I get that he's not a good drop big. I get that. He only makes sense if you're playing mobile coverages with which the Lakers usually haven't. But even when they have played those, they haven't played Jones. So like, what the hell with Christie, this is the type of guy he should be defending. I get that. It's not a kind of guy that Rui makes sense on, but like, this should be the dude to play Christy. If you're not playing Christie now, you're not going to play Christie. Um, so that that to me is concerning. And so it's Russ decisions uh, from a rotation standpoint. There's Bryant and Gabriel, which we haven't even talked about today. Uh, there's like Lonnie, there's Bev, there's Christy. Like, I'm I'm not happy. It seems like I know there were things we were upset about last year with like Avery Bradley playing over over Austin Reeves. And like there were moments, I don't know, not all that much time where like uh, Melo was like at center or there was a lot of LeBron at center time but like it seems like there's a lot of it this year man it's it's really frustrating yeah. and I'm looking back at the uh, I, I posted uh, one of the um, polls where people were able to rank coaches and give you two options you pick the one that you think is better and the software looks at all of these responses there were 14,000 responses and from that is able to rank coaches so like in the top tiers you've got Spolstra Kerr Greg Popovich Taylor Jenkins, Ty Lue, Holzer Mike Malone, Rick Carlisle, Nick Nurse, Monty Williams, some some good coaches up there. At the bottom, guys like Steven Silas, Steve Clifford, Wes Unseld, Nate, Nate McMillan, Jamal Mosley, Chauncey Billups. At 21st, we have Darvin Ham. And he's in a tier with Doc Rivers and Billy Donovan. And I think I'd probably have him lower at this point with what we've seen recently. I, I think he should be yeah. lower than 21st. And that's yeah. disappointing. There were things we thought we were getting from him defensively, coming from where he came from that we have not seen. And then a lot of the question marks were like, ah, like we don't know until he has an opportunity to be a head coach. Most of those haven't gone well. In-game adjustments, rotations, there have been moments where they've been good, and I'm not saying he's awful at all of these things, but recently it's been really frustrating.
1: It's been really bad, um, and it's in different kind of ways because not only does the rotation not make sense sometimes, it just generally – and it's not – the the play specifically but you know anthony davis was absolutely dominating in that game and i don't know maybe he kind of ran out of gas uh maybe he just was making the right play and moving the ball but they didn't seem to make an effort to get him the ball when they had no answer for him um i don't think they should fire him after the season but i think uh this is what you get when you choose to go with the first year head coach Um, this is the kinds of mistakes they're inevitably going to make in their first season. Uh, what you could do is is hire a very experienced assistant, you know, with head coaching experience, which I think the Lakers could use right now, um, to have another locker room guy who's been the, the head guy in another place and knows how to manage the relationships and the expectation on the court. Um, but not being able to get Anthony Davis, the ball in a game where he's no one can touch him. You know, he's getting everywhere he wants. He's getting put backs. Um, his jumper was falling. It was tough to, it was tough to see. And um, it's, you know, it's not only just these rotations, man. Sometimes it feels like the overall strategy and what we're trying to, to exploit from the other team is, uh is falling a little short.
2: Yeah. It's, it's odd uh, defensively. I see a lot that, I don't understand <laughs> um, from player to deploy- point deploy- deployment scheme decisions, uh, little like small tactical things like what kind of help to send on Ingram when he's guarded by Pat Beverly. That's been concerning. Offensively, there have been plenty of plays that I really like. I think Chris, Chris Jett has done a really good job with this uh, between him and the others. Jordan Knott's probably in there with this as well. The play design has been pretty, pretty solid. The play frequency has been hot or cold. I would like it to be higher, and they've been much better when they're running plays. So I'd like to see more of it. But at the same time, they run plays frequently that aren't a good fit for the roster. They continue, one of their most used actions on the whole season is their double drag action, which teams just play drop and go under against. And the Lakers aren't good at it. They, it doesn't make any sense. It would be a good action if you had Kyrie Irving running it. It's not a good action when you got Russell Westbrook running it. And it hasn't worked for like literally over, uh, they've run it over 100 times this year and I'm tracking it in my tracker and it's it's infuriating. Like late game yesterday and, and we've had our complaints about the team not running sets late game. When they did run stuff late game, they started running double drag and I'm like, what are you doing? Like live on the stream here on on the Lakers watch party stream. I was like, what are they doing? Uh, it's, yeah, there's been a lot of frustration I have. It would be great if they brought in someone who has some some experience that could help push things in the right direction. It's funny to think about how Rashid Wallace was the first guy we heard about potentially joining the staff. Um, probably... <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, man. Oh, man. There, <laughs> At the time, Ham was hired. It was like a consensus good decision. And there were certainly things where we were like, we don't know how good he'd be at these, but... We would hope he'll be good. We expect he probably won't be awful, but he's been pretty bad in a number of areas. I was not – if you would have told me he's, you know, adjustments, rotations, defense, not good, offensive scheme, eh, pretty solid. I would be like, you're not talking about, you know, apparent defensive specialist with the Milwaukee Bucks starving hand. Like, that is not what I was expecting. So, it's – yeah, it's – maybe I'm being a little harsh, but it's been it's been a bit frustrating uh, if they hired someone other than Jem, I don't know what this what this team would look like right now. So it's frustrating, but yeah. hopefully with the trade deadline, with some of these moves, you make it easier to like make smart decisions rotationally. Like if your rotation is, and I'll just pick like one potential combination here. If you end up with Conley and Dennis at point guard, Reeves and Christie at shooting guard, or Reeves and Healed, um, Trent and Brown, or or Brown and Christie at the three, or Rui's in there. Braun and Rui at the four, AD and Olenek at the five. There are fewer bad decisions, and it's much harder to put together combos of small players that concern me defensively. Um, You're adding more shooting, so that makes – offensively makes things easier. And then if you do decide to keep running those double drag plays that currently aren't working because they don't match the personnel – Hey, they would be working for Mike Conley when he's running those. Because again, he can hit those pull up threes. So I, that's just an example of a potential outcome of the, these trades, potential trades coming up that could result in a Lakers rotation that makes it harder for Darvin Ham to do the things that have frustrated us and have frustrated fans recently.
1: So, sorry, this is kind of a non sequitur, Tim, but uh, I, I was thinking, I. I think this team has gotten better in the, in the last few weeks kind of playing d- d- defense and getting those head-to-heads. I was really thinking about trying to, and I don't know if you already do this, forgive me, but uh, quantify a new stat where it's basically a, like a transition like attempt within five seconds of the defensive rebound. Um, those, It's the touchdown.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yeah. the, those hit-aheads, like I, like the hockey touchdown, you could have, like, those two quick passes. Uh, they had a lot of those in the Indiana game, but quantify just kind of where, uh, like, within a certain amount of time from the defensive rebound to transition um, attempt.
2: That is an interesting thought, and I'm pretty sure I'm able to pull that with uh, pbpstats.com. I'm trying to do it right now. You can go in there into their shot query tool and say like, okay, pull a list or I'm hoping it's going to give me a summarized table um, at a team level of which teams are attempting shots within uh, the first five seconds of the shot clock. So that's okay. So I have that. Let's see what it looks like. And let's see here. It looks like, according to that, the Lakers are 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 13th in the league from a field goal attempt standpoint within the first five seconds of the uh, the clock.
1: Is that what you're asking about? Kind of, but I more mean specifically in those just the samples of, you know, fast outlets um, and defensive rebounding. Because sometimes if it's like a side out, you know, and it's a dead ball. Like, I'm not talking that. I mean, I mean, like, right after a defensive rebound into, yeah, a shot within the first five seconds, I guess, would work.
2: Okay. So, off of any missed field goal, I can I can choose right. the possession start type. So, I'm going to put that in.
1: Yeah. And then
2: see what that does. All right. Let's take a look at the new results.
1: Anyway, i just been thinking about fifth. counting it like it's a KD ratio, you know? Like the... They kill death. Just watching, you know, we always see LeBron and AD like playing football on their off days and stuff, the team playing football. And you can see him running these go routes and these post routes and, you know, just really doing a good job at sharing the ball in transition. They've gotten a lot better at that recently, I feel like.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the team is fifth in the volume of those attempts. First five seconds of the clock off of a miss, getting a shot up uh, in transition so interesting they, they do it a good bit and we see them do it a good bit i'm sure they could probably do it a bit more though and when they're getting defense, those opportunities right? yeah play some better defense and then when you are getting out and attempting these shots like their, their effective field goal percentage is 68 percent on those like it when you can shoot that quickly it's because you've got a great great opportunity so that, that'll be part of it um So that's – I don't know. Tom, what else do you want to talk about? We could take questions from the crowd potentially.
1: Uh, Yeah. Um, I mean we spoke a little bit about Vanderbilt. Um, We got a question in the chat about him. I don't know if you want to – we didn't mention it too much though, Tim, Um, but that was a part – like that was one kind of segment of that trade package was Beasley and Vanderbilt it felt like. Could you speak on that a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So Vanderbilt's a good defender. Vanderbilt this season has been misused from a role standpoint. He's been a very, very effective wing stopper, point of attack defender. This year, he's been used as a mobile big, which is not the way to get the most of him. And because of that misalignment of skill set and role, his defensive impact has actually been negative this year, which is interesting. Um, A big drop off from what we're used to because, again, the role is not a good fit. He, if brought to the Lakers, would be a tremendous asset as a wing stopper or potentially a point of attack defender. I would imagine most frequently POA and then when there's a wing that's a scoring wing, you just deploy him as a wing stopper. But against teams that just have a, I don't know, stationary shooter, three man, go will stick him at the point of attack instead. And he would be a valuable asset there. The concern with him is offensively, he's not a good three-point shooter. He's not getting volume up, his efficiency uh, isn't His volume and efficiency aren't at levels where he commands any sort of gravity, and that makes it troublesome to play him in lineups where you have any other non-shooters. So he could make some sense if you've got him in a lineup where like, I don't know, let's say it's like Conley, Reeves... LeBron Vanderbilt Olenek and like he's basically your like center on offense in terms of like you know hanging out in the dunker spot setting some pin in flare screens maybe rolling a bit he's got some good ball mover data I think he's an intriguing short roll option but playing him with like AD and like Dennis in in, together in a lineup I worry about Um, so he could make sense it's tough to you know, see a ton of value because I don't know how much he fits with Anthony Davis from a spacing standpoint. And offensively, he doesn't really add much value just in general, attacking the rim or shooting. Uh, But the defense is really interesting. So if the team were to grab him, there's a way to make him fit. And yeah, like I'd be okay to have him, but he's not a top target of mine, I'd say. I'd be more interested in like, if you're trading Russ out, I need to get Conley back. You need to have that playmaking. You can certainly poke some holes in Conley's defense. And, yeah, no, like, I don't, I'm not going to fight you on that. He didn't look good last playoffs. Interesting. Interestingly, last playoffs, he was fine at the rim. He was fine on pull-up jumpers. He was 0 for 10 on open threes last playoffs. So I think that, uh, that was just uh, some luck there. That's not a, like, oh, wow, this guy's washed now. But defensively, he was someone that like Luca was picking on a bit. And on this team, he wouldn't be who the Lakers used to defend Luka. Um, or if there was like a top tier scoring guard option, I don't think the Lakers would stick him on that guy. I think they'd stick Reeves on that guy or somebody else. So I'm a little bit less worried about that, but he is someone that, you know, he has a value, but has some holes in his game. He is aging, but if you can acquire him and then like a backup big in Olenek, having a, a real spacing Five man threat I think is really interesting, and getting to another question from the chat, how does alin fit with anthony davis i'm I'm intrigued I think offensively alin can space the floor, he's a good ball mover, and a d can be more of your role man or post up guy or operating out of the dunker spot and you're in a good a pretty good spot there and then defensively, you could do a number of things if you wanted to, you could use a Linux as like running mobile coverages, you know, show him recover or soft or catch hedge. Uh, And behind that, having Anthony Davis be able to be that helper in a roaming help position, able to erase advantages, erase 2v1s, intercept skip passes, that could put him in his optimal spot defensively and also allow him to conserve some energy for offense. Um, So I think something like that could work. So that's a duo I think has potential to play. More so than like Thomas Bryant in AD, just because of the shooting difference between Olenek and Bryant. So yeah, I I don't know that I think I would rotationally play Olenek and AD both as centers, but you could certainly get some time in with the two of them together.
1: Olenek's an interesting interesting option for sure giving that uh spacing with a uh, little bit of passing as well from the five and mm-hmm. you know being able to play kind of a flex with him and ad on offense defense with ad is the kind of five on defense and you know ad can try to get a switch onto a four they can get more cross matchups and kind of kind of causes chaos having a, a five that can stretch like that on offense next to ad um which i think would really help him um it's kind of what we saw with Marc Gasol a little bit. Uh, but Olenek does that on a better degree, I think, with a little bit more um, efficiency as well. But, yeah, I would love to see a pick-and-pop big next to AD on a little bit more regular basis. But, you know, you can't always get what you want. <laughs> um Tim, anything else you got? I think that, that should do it for me.
2: Uh One last thing I was just thinking to mention, and then someone in the chat just said Spurs Package. From the Spurs standpoint, Richardson, I'd be fine with acquiring. I'm not super high on him. His shooting has been kind of up and down, and his defense isn't – his defense should be better if his – for whatever reason, his usage this year is almost a career high. So if you could make him more of a three and D guy, I think he'll be – he'll have some value. So him and then Purtle, if I can get the two of them together, uh, Purtle – very, very solid anchor, big drop coverage, rebounding, shot blocking, great finisher offensively. Another really solid passer, um, just like a Linux. He, interestingly, Jakob Pertl, the volume of opportunities he's been creating for teammates, like per 100 possessions, is almost on, on par with where Kyrie was this year, which speaks to how each of them have been used. Um, I don't think the passing would. Tr- like translate as much to this Lakers offense unless they changed the scheme up a bit and added more opportunities like that into the scheme, which could very well make sense, you know, play to your gator, to your talent, especially if you're, if you're losing a playmaker and Russ in a deal. But yeah, if I were to put together a Spurs package, I would want to go for those two. And if you can do that with, I don't, I haven't run the numbers on who you would need to send out, but if you could do that for like one first round pick that could make some sense, but I know the Lakers' first-round picks are perhaps more valuable than the average first-round pick, just given how, how how bad we think they might be in 2029, 2027. Uh, but that, I don't know exactly what the, the cost would be for those two, but if you were to pursue a Spurs trade, that's what I would go for. I would have that below some of these other options we've talked about, but if they did it, I would still think it'd
1: be a step up. Yeah, I don't this first package doesn't really do it for me as well. Um yeah, that's fair. This is why I didn't really talk about it too too much. But yeah, we'll see Tim. Uh, we can try to pod again um, before the deadline or right right after. Um it should be around a little bit, you know, in the early weeks. So Try to come back, do this on playback board. Seems like uh, we had a good good crowd in here. So try to do that again. If you missed it, we're at playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. You can uh, connect your, you know, cable provider. Uh, whoever you have and watch the games along with us. No need to sync. You can control the mix of Tim and I's audio with the actual game. Uh, It's pretty cool, Tim. Um, And as always, if you want to get in our discord, you can send us a screenshot of a five-star review on your podcast player of choice and uh, DM that to one of us. And we'll send you the link to get in the the disco.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if you're in there, you you've seen my full list. I I went into 26 guys or something like that. I, I did some scouting on this week. Um full list in there. We've been chatting about this stuff. You know, Tom and I are, we're able to pod once a week, maybe twice a week uh when when we've got trade deadline things like that. We'll do more of these uh you know, we've been doing the streams fairly consistently and we'll we'll do more of these live pods, but you've got access to us or at least me uh daily in that uh in that Discord. So it's it's a fun way to interact. We've got a great community and uh, various levels within that. We've got bonus pods at a tier. This is here where we do X's and O's courses. We've got some extra channels in there. You get access to the spreadsheet that I've been keeping track of, where uh, you can see what plays the Lakers have been running, if they're working or not, with what lineups they've been using them. All those good things. Like how does how does LeBron James's you know style offensively change when Russ is in the game versus out of the game, or you know what set plays have the Lakers been running? In recent games, or what works, what hasn't worked, whatever. All of that is available to you and more if you join that Discord and, and join the various tiers. I want to shout out some folks, uh, friends of the podcast, TJ, Timotaji, uh, Zach Harris, Qdadio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdul Rahman, Keneal Mason, Eric, and Doppel, all for li- living the high life with us in the owner's box, as well as to the Lower Bowl and courtside crews who get access to. Uh, the bonus pods, that spreadsheet, my film room channel, the X's and O sessions, all of that great stuff. Just like Tom said, if you want to get into that group, DM us a five-star review of the pod to him, me, or the podcast Twitter account. You can also check out the link in my bio, and that kind of spells out what's in each tier and gives you a direct way to access the Discord through that as well. So, Go do that. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of movement and plenty of non-Lakers trades you want our perspective on or developing situations at random times of day with a Lakers situation. And that would be the place to access us. Uh, so go, go check that out if you're not in there already.
1: Thanks, everybody. Um, yeah, get at us uh, next time on Playback. But until next time, talk to you you all y'all later.